Welcome back to Brisky Business. This segment of the program, we're going to get into brisk bulls and bears. And I want to welcome John Asselford back to the program, Managing Director of San Diego Hat. And uh, John, this segment of the program, we talk about investment strategy. And for me, investment, there's no right or wrong way as long as you get into it and figure out what works for you. So why don't you share, and you don't need to get into the massive portfolio I'm sure you've built at this point, but how you go about doing it rather than sharing the numbers. Uh, you know, for me, I got started uh, very early in my career um, in investing in the market through retirement plans, 401ks, and I learned a lot in my second job at Drew Pearson, and you were instrumental in putting some things in place at the company that allowed us to uh, be in 401ks and have company match uh, a certain percentage. And, you know, I think the advice I would give to young people is get in as early as you can and whatever your company matches, you want to max that out. Um, and then, you know, 30 years later, uh, you're going to look real smart. <laughs> yeah, it's really not that hard if you'll do it every single day, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think... And, and, uh, Go ahead. No, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you don't have to be that smart. The 401k people do it for you. Max it out. I love that. Uh, I tried to give that advice to my uh, my own girls. They've done that uh, swimmingly well, and it's been great for them. Uh, the first thing I think we have to do, John, and this is the hardest part, is we have to decide whether at a very young age where we don't think we're ever going to get old, and trust me, it happens because here I am, uh, what are we willing to give up to have a really strong future, right? The, you're watching your family. Dry, your, your friends with the fancy cars and all of those things. Are you, gonna, are you willing to invest in yourself first? How were you able to have that discipline at a young age, do you think? Uh, well, my dad was uh, instrumental. I think he was a dis pretty disciplined, conservative uh, mindset. And you just have to make certain sacrifices. I mean, for instance, my first two cars that I drove, uh, I think I, I drove them eight and ten years. So, you know, you had four to six years of no car payments. And that's the sacrifice that you make because I was using that money to put into my retirement plans. You know, it's getting a new car in two to three years. Well, yeah, and that and that is uh, that gives you that extra money to go ahead and max out that 401k potential or even contribute to an IRA because tax free investment happens. And I think a lot of times we get into this public market segment and sometimes we do get into some really interesting public company conversations. But in, when it comes to investing, we all are really in the in the public markets. We may not even realize it. I have had people say to me, oh, I'm in a mutual. Uh, I don't do uh, stocks. I invest in mutual funds. Okay, but anyways, uh, that's just the way it is sometimes. But you also had some pretty cool experiences because you were with a company that went public on the Hong Kong Exchange. In fact, you're still working for them today. What was that like to be involved with Mainland Headwear when it went public on the Hong Kong? Uh, it was exciting. You know, it, it opens new lines of, of uh, capital for the company that could be used to invest in, in new business opportunities. Um, they had some expertise in sourcing, and which allowed us to be more of a, a direct relationship. Um, and the, the, the differences, too, is uh, everything you're doing now is public. So there is a, a lot more reporting and requirements and visibility. Um, but it was an exciting uh, time. And, you know, it was an international business as well. So I have fond memories. 
How was that like as a young man? I know you you were there at the, at the beginning, but I'm sure you still do. I mean, a fair amount of travel to Asia when it was really kind of on fire. What was that like? Uh, it's super exciting and interesting um, to see the product being made. I mean, some of my favorite things today still in the wholesale business is seeing a consumer purchase our product at a retail store. And the other really neat part is actually seeing product being made in, in a factory. And so to see that execution and the skill and the things that are required to bring a product to market is was really neat. Especially at scale like Mainland is, it's yes. pretty impressive. So yes. let's pivot a little bit into, it's, it's funny how every time you're with a company, they find your way into the innovation, into building some new project. It's interesting to me that you helped lead, you know, the acquisition of San Diego Hat Company, and all of a sudden you're basically running the show there, the managing director of this company that was a small private company, and then transitioning now into what it is today. What was that experience like? Uh, you know, I relied on a lot of my previous experience to guide me through the process. Um, but I think that the thing about the public company coming in was now you had access to capital to go try to do some of the things that I talked about earlier. So line extensions, which requires merchandising talent and buying inventory, um, direct to consumer website, which requires hiring people to run that. And you may not be profitable for a year or two as you start that business. But when you have a parent company that can be your bank and allow those things to grow and water them and nurture them, um, it's exciting. And for the people that were working for the privately held company, they now got to expand on you know what they wanted to do without the stress of, this is my money coming out of my checkbook. Um, uh, and so, you know, there's that's the balance. It is the balance. You know, I have to imagine now with uh, with COVID, you know, that throws another dynamic into a company like San Diego Hat Company. What is that? Um, what has that been like? And has the dot com uh, or the e-commerce direct to consumer had uh, 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 kind of moved to the top of uh, of the strategy? It's definitely moved to the top. We've been focusing on it for numerous years and the timing of COVID, uh, luckily we had really, our business had really started to, to round itself out. So we were able to capitalize on the shift to direct to consumer. It, it had grown from nothing with us up to about 15% of our business. Now it's about 30%. And I think that this will be something that's that's permanent. Even as we navigate our way out of COVID, I think that the direct to consumer business is now even further ingrained um, in the consumer's mind of how they can buy products. Yeah, I, I've had a number of people on the program, number of associates talking about uh, either how fortunate they were that they were in um, the direct-to-consumer e-tailing business, if you will, or those that were scrambling to make that a critical part of your business. And, uh, you know, we talked about line extension, but, you know, having uh, the ability to have multiple streams of revenue or distribution, how important do you think that is for a smaller company? Well, we have three main streams, which is a national account uh, and the boutique independent channel and the direct-to-consumer. So um, they're all very important. And if all three of those are clicking, then we're a very good uh, bottom-line company. But if one or two falters, um, one, maybe you're still okay. So to have uh, multiple options to generate revenue is, is a good thing 
uh, even for a small company. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Where um, um, what about brick and mortar? We talked about it. We touched down it briefly. We've got about a, a minute and a half or so. Is that something uh, you'll end up totally walking away from or do you think that's an, there's an opportunity there? I still think brick and mortar is important for the, the long term. I just think that it's going to be a different footprint. There'll be less stores, the stores that are left, it'll be a better shopping experience. So I still think there's a lot of business there. And then, you know, we're looking and, and I think other brands are looking at maybe should they have their own flagship stores or also have some of their own brick and mortar um, front facing brand statements. You know, you I think you guys are pretty well positioned. I, I'm hearing a lot of and I'm actually watching execution of experiential retail. And with you guys making a shift to more of a lifestyle brand, you have a real opportunity there to capitalize on experiential retail, which a lot of money is betting that that is the future of brick and mortar. What do you think? I agree. And that's something we're looking at and evaluating. Where uh, where where do you think your customers are if you were to set up retail? I'm not trying to give any, but if you're going to go down the retail road, where are they? Where are they sure. living? So, you know, it's going to be coastal resort areas um, and airport uh, as well. So some of the destination places, for instance, here in San Diego, um, as people come in, millions of people every year to vacation here, um, to have a lifestyle shop there with all the things that they need for the beach would be fantastic. And you know, that brand's pretty powerful too, because I'm not sitting here on the East Coast. I know you're over there on the West Coast, but I don't know too many people that don't think San Diego's great. It has a lot of reach. It's a cool lifestyle. So I think that pivot for your company was brilliant. So this part of the program, we do kick it back. We're going to downshift a little bit. My wife always picks up a cool coffee cup. This one is do more of what makes you happy. And that's great for this segment. Maybe we can talk about that a little if we can get to gap moments and we'll explore that a little bit. But uh, let's get right to it. Sounds good. So let's talk about mentorship. Let's talk about the mentors you may have had in your program, um, in your life, if you will, that had an influence uh, on, uh, on you. And when we discussed this off mic, you had kind of some in interesting reflective uh, thoughts um, as, uh, as you look back in your life about the mentors that you had. Let's talk about that. Well, when you had asked me about mentors, it, it, uh, I guess it was kind of surprising to me when I thought about it because I thought I would have uh, a big list, but it's actually a small list. Um, and you know, it, it started with my dad. Uh, he was my first mentor, and you know, taught me a lot about discipline and work ethic, uh, and doing the right thing. And you know, then as I got into high school, I had a high school soccer coach that I played for for three years, and he reiterated a lot of those same things that my dad had instilled in me. Uh, and I was able to see those things actually work, you know, on the playing field for us as a team. Hey, John, uh, and, before you yes. move on, this soccer coach, I mean, I've had a lot of athletes on the program and they talk about the coaching. Were there parallels from what your high school soccer coach kind of instilled in you as a mentor into your business life as well? Absolutely. Um, the team aspect is probably the biggest um, being able to function as a team and everybody having their own role and contributing to the su overall success of the team. Um, 
making sure that people on the team stay in line um, and then doing the work, the hard work behind the scenes, which is the training and then the working out in order to stay um, at, at a level that you need to be at to compete and, and win. And, and, you know, and we went through a lot. Our first year, uh, we won three games and we worked our butts off um, and we did it for three years. But our senior year, we won the state championship. So it just, you know, it taught me a lot about success doesn't come overnight either. Yeah, no, that's great lessons. And uh, it's interesting that you're looking back. Okay, so you had your dad, your kind of high school soccer coach. What else? Uh, and then, you know, you were probably my third mentor, my business mentor. Uh, I was with you for 13 years. So you took an interest in my career and me beyond the company. Uh, you know, we're always trying to, uh, do what's needed for the company and, and meet goals and objectives. But you allowed me to make some mistakes. Uh, you allowed me to take some classes and, and pay for them outside of work to, to further my career. Um, so, I, you know, you really uh, spent time with me and, you know, did one thing that a lot of companies don't do, which is surprising to me, uh, written reviews yearly where we could go over, you know, what I was doing well you know, what are some improvements? Um, what are some ideas and things that I want to work on? Um, so uh, you were my third uh, mentor. <laughs> that makes me feel good. I, I, uh, didn't, I didn't realize I was in mentorship status. So uh, it's amazing you've had the success you've had now that I think <laughs> about it. <laughs> I, I learned a lot. All right. And then uh, anything beyond your, your business mentor, I guess me. Well, you know, when you asked me this question, too, I was thinking uh, that uh, as I age and get into my 50s that I don't need any more mentoring. I already know everything. But the funny thing is, I feel like now I, I, I crave mentoring. Um, and so one of the things that I did do is uh, our church um, had a business men's business group. Um, and so I joined that and we meet weekly and we talk about the book, but everybody shares their business experiences. And so I really enjoyed that hearing other business leaders and peers and the challenges and struggles and the decisions that they have to make um, has been rewarding. And that, you know, you have to, to look for that because, and I would tell the young people, if you find somebody throughout your career that wants to mentor you, uh, take advantage of it because not every position in your career, you're going to have a boss that wants to do it. Yeah, that's really great advice or seek it out, right? I mean, that's yeah. the advice I've given to both of uh, or all three children in my life. I mean, I've basically said, listen, you know, sometimes you got to go out there and make it happen. And, uh, you know, mentors, you know, people want to mentor people. I mean, the reason why um, I wanted to invest in you is because you you had so much potential and so much eagerness and were willing to do the hard work. And when people show that type of, uh, of, of uh, interest in learning, it's very, very flattering. It really, really is. And so if you'll take advantage of those people that are kind of paying attention to what you're doing, I think you can, you can really accelerate relationships and accelerate your career and accelerate your knowledge base from people that frankly got a little more wisdom than you probably have. <laughs> Exactly. You had some good advice, I thought. You were talking about the younger generation. The only thing I would have probably altered is it's really anyone. And uh, it was about investing in yourself. And I think you were uh, you talked about that a little bit. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, as far as, you know, outside of the work? Uh, Either. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, 
when we're younger, we're so focused on career and, and the career ladder, you know, I was. But as I got older and had kids and other things become just as important. So, uh, you know, finding time for your friends, um, finding time to stay connected with them, uh, doing things that you're passionate about, um, taking care of your body, staying healthy, um, not getting caught up in, in the, the hierarchy, you know, of work um in the day-to-day and and finding time whether it's daily weekly monthly uh for yourself so you can re-energize do you still read uh, read a lot i remember you were like a vicious reader yeah so i still read a book uh a book a month i try to each quarter i try to read one biography one book on history and one book either on business or something fun and just kind of rotate that way Wow. Do you, uh, how, how, where would you be in your life without that, do you think? How important is it? Uh, it it's very important. It keeps the mind active. It allows me to sleep better. Um, I love hearing people's stories. Um, you know, I, I, I refer to my career or my life as just a book, and there's different chapters, you know, and some are long. So there's uh, ups and downs and back up again, but you're just writing your, your own story. And so I love hearing other people's stories as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think one of the things we talked about off mic that I found interesting and compelling because, you know, about the management side is something that you learned is that sometimes we are trying to always manage people up. And you said there was a big lesson you learned in that. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I think I, as a young manager, I was always trying to push everybody to the next level. And uh, I realized that not everybody wants to raise to the next level. Um, and, you know, I used to have the mentality maybe of someone that had been with the company 10 years and has never made any mistakes and is still in the same position. And that's not what we want. But actually, that's a positive. There's somebody that doesn't make mistakes for 10 years, comes to work every day, loves their job, um, and wants to be part of the team, but doesn't necessarily want to take on an additional bigger role with the company or additional stress or, or whatever it may be. So uh, I've learned uh, later in my career to be a lot more selective and letting people uh, rise if I feel like they want to and I feel like they're capable, but not necessarily pushing everybody. Yeah, isn't it funny when our ego steps out of the way and we realize not everyone is us? <laughs> Correct. And those people are so important to the business, you know. Um, so it's it's definitely something that a lesson learned. Yeah, it's the foundation of the business. Those happy people that just get it done every day. Well, we would not be successful without them. You got. We have thirty seconds. Gap moment. Where do you? How do you find joy in your life? Well, living in San Diego with the weather so great. Really, two places, Dave. Uh, I love the water. So at the beach or on the golf course. You know, those are my two favorite spots. That is awesome. I'm glad you're there in San Diego. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, and you know what? This show went by so fast. Thank you so much for the insights. Uh, it's been great catching up with you, my friend. This concludes uh, this, uh, this week's show of Brisky Business. I'm going to sign out. I've had a blast talking with John Astleford, Managing Director of San Diego Hat Company. I'll catch up with you later, my friend. All right. Thanks, Dave. Enjoyed it.